Welcome again to Graveyard Coffee Talk. We are your hosts. Amanda. And Corinne. And today, um, we finally broke free of local coffee shops because as much as we love them, they're not sponsoring us and we figured we should go further afield. Though, if any local coffee shops are listening and And would like- want to sponsor us. Even just give us a free coffee when we record. We'd love it. We'll take it. So today we are drinking- Two Wise Guys, Fair Trade, Organic, Peru, San Ignacio. And Um, I picked this up at World Market because they had lots of coffee samples, and I figured that's what we needed. Yep. And I'm about to take my first sip. It's really hot. Oh, camp mugs. Camp mugs are hot. While Corinne almost burns herself. Um, it is okay. Um, I accidentally put so much almond syrup in here that all I'm tasting is the almond syrup and cream. And I'm not really tasting coffee. So I think it's fine. It's okay. a little burny aftertaste. Yeah, it's a medium roast and I tend to prefer a lighter roast. It gives me A, more caffeine. And B, even if the roaster overdoes it a smidge, it doesn't get that burnt taste that medium and dark roasts can get. Yeah, I typically look for light roasts, but that's harder to find pre-ground at, like, World Market and places, so I'll just have to go further afield next time I go on a coffee run. Makes sense. And um, I've gone ahead and drawn our card for today. I am again drawing from the Wild Wild Unknown Tarot. Let me see that three times fast. Um, And today we have the Hermit, and I love him because he's just a little turtle boy. He's probably actually a tortoise, but that's okay. We'll pretend like I didn't grow up in a zoo. It's whatever. And And that's not Corinne being facetious. She really did spend (laughs) a lot of time at the local zoo while growing up. My my formative years may have been spent in the zoo, in fact. Um, But anyway, the Hermit is a card of solitude and meditation, um, which is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I feel like that, that... image of solitude is really great for today's topic. Amanda, would you like to introduce today's topic? Agreed. Today, we are going to be talking about vampires. And uh, specifically, we are, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, going to be avoiding the more well-known Eastern European style. For the most part, yes, I am touching on one, but honestly, the vampire is not the star of the story. Okay. So... Uh, I did, I very specifically chose to avoid um, Slavic vampires, even though they are really cool and it's so much more than just Dracula. But um, yeah, people are more familiar with that. So I thought I'd go a bit further afield. All right. Um, And before we get started, if anyone has not watched What We Do in the Shadows, both the movie and the TV show. That would be me. Please don't be mad. I can't talk to you right now. Oh, damn it. It's Taika Waititi doing what Taika Waititi does best. I mean, I know that. I know that. But, but listen, 
I'm a coward. It's a comedy. Yeah. And I'm a coward. You know this. You need to watch it. Yes, ma'am. I can't. I can't talk to you right now. If we get 100 downloads, I'll watch it. It's our first goal. All right. And if we get 200 downloads, I'll have her watch an actual scary movie. That's mean. Okay. All right. So in the paper, Southerner as Other, Exploring Regional Identity Through the Southern Vampire. Ooh. I, oh my God. This research made me so happy. Oh, great. Okay. I my little faux academic heart just had so much fun. And you you will link to these sources when we post everything on the blog, right? Yes. Oh, good. Because I want to read these now. Um, the authors state that, quote, Vampires tend to manifest in places with rich historical presence and lands that have been host to... Oh, wow, I can talk. Host to social anxieties. Hmm. Um. This particular paper focuses, as you would assume, on vampires as they appear in folklore and history in the American South. And it makes perfect sense to me that a region with the sort of violent history that the American South has would have folklore so monstrous and universal. Okay, interesting. Um, So I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that... If we're discussing Southern vampires, we have to talk about Louisiana. Okay. Specifically New Orleans. Okay. And we're not going to discuss the group of people in New Orleans living now who claim to be vampires. <laughs> I love those guys. I'm good. Um, I'm sorry. I'm good. They aren't hurting anyone. They're just living their best life. They are their living. Their best life. Their truth, and God bless them. Yeah. Or not. They'd probably be offended by that statement. Okay, I'm good. (laughs) I got the giggles out, I hope. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. Uh, So as far as Southern Gothic authors and various urban legends are concerned, New Orleans is a vampire hotspot. Yeah, I read an interview with the vampire in high school. (laughs) Exactly. Um, you've got Interview with a Vampire, you've got Poppy Z. Bright, which you never need to read any, any book by Poppy Z. Bright. You cannot handle those. Thank you for the warning. I, was about to say, I don't know that author, and it sounds like it's a good thing that I don't. Gorgeous Southern Gothic. Um, just, just stunning. Yeah. You cannot. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Um, but anyone who likes more extreme horror, go for it. And specifically... From New Orleans, I would like to focus on Jacques Saint Germain, also known as, and Corinne is going to pronounce this word for me because I already forgot how to pronounce it. Where are we at? Comte Saint Germain. All right. So convenient to have someone who actually speaks French. Yeah, except uh, in New Orleans, they don't actually use European French pronunciation. So when I saw Lake Pontchartrain, People stared at me because it's Poncho Train. I love the South. And I was like, right, right. It's like good old Versailles, Kentucky. Yes, yes, Versailles, Kentucky, which is the same distance from Paris, Kentucky as Paris and Versailles in France. Fun fact. Thank you, French one with Madame Larocque. 
I'm sorry for failing See, you. See, guys, you thought you were going to learn about vampires and you're learning geography. <laughs> uh, so I am uh, stepping on Corinne's territory a little bit here to start because our buddy Jacques first came on the scene in France. Vive la motherfucking France, okay. Uh, in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Among the real-life historical figures who claim to have known him are King Louis XV. Okay. Casanova. Hell yes. And Voltaire. Oh, okay. To quote Voltaire. He's my bro. <laughs> that's not what Voltaire said. I'm that sorry. That was great timing on my part, but I'm sorry. It's Fair actually enough. kind of close. Um, to quote Voltaire, he is a man who knows everything and who never dies. Okay. So there are some records that show he was born in 1710. Okay. Uh, people claim to have seen him as recently as 1970. No, thank you. Um, and most famously, years after his alleged death, he was seen by multiple people at Marie Antoinette's execution. Okay. Uh, contemporary reports say he spoke at least six languages, Good never uncle. aged, could play the violin like... A complete master. Okay. And was such a skilled alchemist that he could grow diamonds. Interesting. I mean, I we, we can do that now with modern science. Lab-grown diamonds are absolutely a thing, but that's really cool. Okay. Yeah. So a record. A. One. A record shows that he died in Germany in 1784 after a life spent throwing lavish parties all over Europe Fuck, yes. Ending his life as a confidant to Prince Hesse. Okay. Note how I said a record. Yes. Just one. The one record of his death was written by a priest under the king's orders. Because that's not fucking suspicious at all. At all. Um, And it's rumored, obviously, we're talking about vampires, Uh that he did not die and instead traveled west. Okay. Some 200 years after his alleged death, okay. an immigrant from France named Jacques Saint-Germain it's a good name. showed up in New Orleans and moved into a house off Royal Street. Okay. And like, dude, could you try to be subtle? Could you change more than just your first name? Have you met the French? Have you met any French people ever? <laughs> because love that country. They are extra. And it's wonderful. <laughs> I had a Corsican teacher and she was wild. Excellent. Um, Jacques was known for his knowledge, wit, and how he spoke of events from a few hundred years in the past in stunning detail. Right, dude. Um, About that. Subtlety. What is wrong with you? Again, um, French language, it's, it's a trip. Much like he did back in Europe, he threw lavish parties with high-profile guests. Okay. Uh, It's been noted by people who claim to have been at the parties that he never ate the food. Right. Okay. Now, everyone makes mistakes eventually, you know, more than just not changing your goddamn name in 200 years. Jesus fucking Christ. Right? Yeah. Uh, One night, he invited a woman off the streets to one of his big Gatsby-esque parties. Okay, okay. Nice literary illusion there. You know, I do my best. He asked her to join him on the balcony where he tried to bite her neck. Mm. She was a fucking badass. Hell yes. Was able to get away from him and jump right off the balcony. Impressive. Okay. She did not die jumping off the balcony. 
Okay. People on the street came over to help her and noticed the blood trickling down her neck and immediately called the police. Uh, good. Yes. Mm-hmm. When police entered the house to try to make sense of what was going on, what they found became the stuff of legends. Okay. There were clothes from multiple time periods in each closet, most stained with blood. That's not unsettling at all. Look, if you've lived 200 years, minimum, and you still haven't figured out how to get blood stains out of your clothes... This dude's a fucking alchemist and he can't goddamn dry clean his own clothing? <sighs> men are useless. A thousand percent. Why are men? Why are men? Uh, there were... No plates, no utensils, no food in storage that wasn't ordered, catered for the party. Okay, I was about to say, like, well, how does he have these banger parties? Mm -hmm. He caters them. Okay. And the bottles that guests believed were red wine were, in fact, filled with blood. Don't like that. Thank you. Yike. He never returned to the house, but people to this day claim to see him around the world from time to time. Dude needs to fucking chill. Dude still hasn't changed his name. God, he's dumb. Yep. Yike, okay. Um, and then, so, because with the exception of our Spooky Games case, I can never just stick to one story, I'm going to turn our focus over to Appalachia. Okay. So, going back to the paper I referenced earlier, there are several academics who compare the geography of Appalachia to that of the Carpathian Mountains. Interesting. In Eastern Europe and state that the similarity made it easy for more traditional vampire myths to transfer over to this area of the country, despite the primary immigrant population being more Western European. Interesting. Yeah, I don't typically think of Eastern European settlers when I think of Appalachian culture. Mm -mm. It's more African and Celtic and some Germanic. Germanic. Yeah. And then interestingly, in addition to the geographical similarities, there was a study conducted by Berea College here in okay. Kentucky Hell yeah. that found social parallels between the regions. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, quote, different highland regions may also show similarities in the so social, cultural, political, and economic dynamics between the highland regions insiders and outsiders. Interesting. So when you think about it, when you are living... In hill country, mm -hmm. you are really isolated, even from your closest neighbors. Okay, yeah. Having a mistrust of an unidentified stranger makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And leaning on those in your community to a greater extent than what we might see in a city makes a lot more sense because you are each other's only hope for survival. Okay, yeah. Um, and it's been noted that the forests of Appalachia inspire the same sort of dread as the forests around the Carpathian Mountains. Okay. Um, very similar tales of things that go bump in the night. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Again, despite the immigrant groups in Appalachia not being yeah, yeah, from yeah. that region. And as opposed to traditional Dracula-style vampiric folklore, the role of Christianity in Appalachian vampire folklore is twisted. Okay. So there is 
an underlying current of a fear of corruption of religious beliefs mm-hmm. in Appalachia. Okay. Yeah, that tracks. In in the South in general, but Appalachia specifically. From my own readings, yeah, that tracks. Um, you know, when you think about Pentecostalism as a religious practice. Yeah. They're... Drinking strychnine and dancing with snakes. I have been to one Pentecostal church service. I have not. Courtesy of my great-grandma. I'm sorry. In good old Harlan, Kentucky? Yep. No. We're Catholics all the way back, man. Ah, uh, no. No, Mamma converted to Catholicism because it was... It would piss her family off the most. Excellent life choice. So vampires in the Appalachian region tend to not be affected by traditional weapons like crosses, holy water, silver. Okay. Um, The vampires in the South and again in Appalachia specifically represent the corruption of Christian theology through the inclusion of non-Christian religions and a perverted deification of the undead. Interesting. Okay. So it's much less just a fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. as it is a fear of the perversion of who you are at your core. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and I'm saving a little bit more of the research that I've done on Appalachian vampires because a lot of it starts to wiggle into other topics that we may cover in the future. Understandable. Um, I still desperately want to read this article. Oh, it's a fantastic paper. It's, I can't wait. I will send you the link. <laughs> Cannot wait. Um, so moving north of the Mason-Dixon line, Boom. let's touch on America's first vampire investigators. Ooh, that's a job I want. I don't actually want that. That would be horrifying. No. What am I saying? God, they are terrible. Moses Holmes. Good name. Fantastic name. Born 1727. Okay. Was an important figure in Willington, Connecticut, who held multiple public offices throughout his life. Okay. He began to push for the remains of children who had died of, quote, mysterious causes, a.k.a. tuberculosis. Right. It is not mysterious. Children can die of respiratory illnesses, too. Modern medicine is a gift. And if anyone listening isn't vaccinated for COVID yet, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. So the first doctor at the exhumation was Minor Grant, M-I-N-E-R. Okay. Who, and someone who digs mines, not as someone who is under 18. Correct. Gotcha. And he really wasn't a doctor. <laughs> he was an apothecary. <laughs> the second was Jeremiah West, who was a surgeon in the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. You know, I'd rather trust the other guy. The three men looked over the exhumed bodies of the children. Okay. Heard stories of how quickly they had succumbed to their mysterious illness. And to be fair to these people, germ theory did not exist yet. Yes, but we all knew. Just saying. What tuberculosis was. Just saying. Germ theory did not exist. And they just immediately took to the papers in New Haven to make a strong statement about the prevalence of vampirism in the area. <laughs> People started digging up corpses. Like you do. Frequently, if they succumb to the mysterious illness. Again, it was always tuberculosis. Several contemporary doctors at the time said, guys, what are you doing? Embracing um, mass hysteria. That's what they're doing. 
defiling corpses by digging them up, putting a stake through their hearts and burning the bodies. It works. Is a lot of what they did. It works. Um, so just to close out my segment, tuberculosis is not vampirism. <laughs> what? COVID-19 is not caused by 5G. And let's admit that people who study these things know more than we do. I would hope so. I would hope so. That's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, jumping off of all of that, mm-hmm. um, as I tend to do, I, I looked more broadly across the globe to, to bring us some stories. And I found the story of the ads in Africa, in uh, modern day Ghana and Togo. Okay. This is Togo? Did I say that? Yeah, it is Togo. Uh, it's a story from Iwi folklore, and I may have just mispronounced that one because I looked up how to pronounce ads, but not Iwi, which was a mistake on my part. Um, and there is some belief that the story of the ads came about as a reaction to malaria, as the Iwi people migrated into what is modern-day Togo and Ghana. That makes sense. <clears throat> However, belief in ads is still very prevalent to this day. Uh, including in the African diaspora. So I I do want to treat this very respectfully because I was reading some interviews in Atlas Obscura and some of the professors and other people that they were interviewing would step up and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm actually not comfortable discussing this because I don't want an ads to target me and my family. Um, One man who was asked about it, I had agreed to the interview and then later stepped back and said, I've been having nightmares about ads, and I think this is a sign that I need to not speak with you, and I need to go pray. I I need God's protection. Holy crap. Yes, it, this is still alive and well, so I'm I'm trying to treat this as respectfully as I can. Um, but anyway, the ads often takes the form of a mosquito or a little ball of light, and it really likes kids. Oh, I don't like that. No, nope, nope, nope. Uh, it likes children. It also likes um, people who were, like, unfaithful. Or if someone is a witch, they've frequently been possessed by an ads. So not only do they suck your blood, they can possess you. Yes. Great. Um, and so the ads has existed since um, pre- Western European contact. Okay. But when Christian missionaries came to the area, you start getting more conflation with the uh, the mythology of Eastern Europe, and you get that uh, conflation with, with vampirism, which is fascinating. Because um, in my, my second little boy that I'm going to be talking about, you also get that conflation of Western mythology with someone else's mythology. It's very cool. Okay. So um, the next guy that we're talking about are the Jiangxi in China. I have heard of these. Yeah, they're great. So Jiangxi are also known to Western audiences as jumping vampires. Yep. Which is just such a fucking delightful image. Or terrifying. I think it's funny. <laughs> this, this is how I cope. It's funny. Um, they are very popular fodder in Chinese cinema, especially Hong Kong cinema, and have been since, I think, like, the 80s and 90s. 
That makes sense to me. Um, But the stories are actually rather a bit older. They originate from the Qin Dynasty. And the story would go, uh, during the Qin Dynasty, you had a lot of people moving around, whether they were laborers moving to faraway farms or their conscripted soldiers who were dying on the battlefield. But a very important part of Chinese culture is that families are all buried together. So if your loved ones have died far from home, how the fuck are you supposed to get them back? The answer in, in this story is to hire a Taoist priest who is a necromancer. Like you do. Yeah, I trust necromancers all the time. Uh, <laughs> I don't, actually. What am I They're saying? They're just very late healers. Very late. So anyway, what they would do is they would put, oh, I know the Japanese word. It's ofura, the little, the little prayer sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the... I don't remember the Chinese word, and I didn't put it down in my notes. That's on me. And uh, so basically, like, a magical sticky note plastered to the body on the face. That is a mental image (laughs) right there. You're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, would more or less reanimate the corpse, who, due to rigor mortis, can't really walk. So he hops. And he hopped back home, which is great. Unless, if something happens to our necro buddy, or he fucks the spell up in some way, shape, or form, um, the corpses can can get away and can kind of break free of the necromancer's control. So you've got these jiangxi who are hopping around like you fucking do, and they don't drink blood. They absorb your chi. They absorb your life force. You have little hoppy boys who no longer have their magical sticky notes. Um, They were also typically bound at the wrists and at the ankles, which is the other reason they hopped so much. And uh, they would, they'll just absorb your life force. They're, honestly, like, we call them vampires, but they're really more like Western vampires, or not vampires, Jesus. Zombies. They're like zombies. Um, They also, if they drain all of your chi, you will become a jiangxi. Other ways that you can become a Jiangxi are if you weren't buried properly, um, if you uh, committed suicide, or um, maybe you got possessed, or there was some other magical interference. You're okay. more likely to become Jiangxi. So you've got this story, and then uh, Chinese and Western storytellers are able to get together. They're able to trade their stories, and when Jiangxi start appearing in film, especially... For one thing, they are always wearing, like, Qin Dynasty clothing, especially the clothing of bureaucrats, because it's very iconic. But they started behaving more and more like Western vampires because of that interplay of cultures, which I think is very cool. I love when cultural overlap takes traditional folklore and really makes it something brand new. It's so great. And just trying to unravel the threads and see where it stemmed from originally. It's super cool. And I, I've i not watched any of the Hong Kong cinema that would feature Jiangxi because, as we have stated, I'm a coward. I get scared. And I've seen some pictures and, like, in still images, I'm like, oh, look at that. That's so hokey. But I, you know what? If I saw one of those fuckers bouncing towards me, I'd be like, nope, I'm gone. It, that almost feels like the and i don't know if rabies is as big an issue on that side of the planet 
Yeah, I, I don't know enough about the spread of rabies. I don't either, but it the jumping and those sort of like staccato mm-hmm. body movements lend towards the belief that vampirism and zombie folklore hints at the innate mammalian fear of yeah like that shit ain't moving right i don't like it it's rabies yeah you don't like the sun you are incredibly thirsty Mm -hmm. and blood is life Blood is life. Um, yeah, I, I came across some other really interesting research that I'm, I'm honestly not going to get into, but I do have some links in my notes. Okay. That touch on just how old the belief in vampirism is. Like, even going back to ancient Greece and the burial traditions that arose from trying to keep people's loved ones from becoming these corrupted vampires. It's super cool. It's kind of sad. Mm. A little fucked up. Some weird burial traditions, like, you know, bricks in the mouth and shit like that. Super fun. Mm -hmm. Kind of fucked up. Kind Kind of sad. Yeah. That's our tagline. Pretty much. Um, And I did, I know I said I was going to stay away from Eastern European vampires, but I have a story and it makes me unreasonably (laughs) happy for all the wrong reasons. So I would be remiss if I did not bring up the Highgate vampire in London, England. Excellent. And uh, if you've listened to our episode on haunted graveyards, you'll remember I actually mentioned this very briefly because I wanted to talk about it then, but it felt more appropriate for this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the Highgate area of London, we're talking late 1960s, early 1970s. Bless you, Kitty Cat. Um, There were reports from the cemetery, which at the time was a very rundown, not great place. Um... People said that they saw figures walking through the graveyard at night. A couple of schoolgirls swore they saw the dead rising from the grave. Great. Mm-hmm. So after a while, and this is, I think, like 1970, there was a rash of finding the bodies of animals that had been drained of blood. Creepy. So the newspapers, thank you, newspapers, are like, so vampires? And a couple of two different men, uh, Sean Manchester and David Farrant, are both like, yes, it's fucking vampires. So there is this whole belief that a Romanian lord who had become a vampire had been smuggled from Romania to London because reasons? Was this before or after the publication of Dracula? Oh, much later. This is the 1790s. Wait, no. 1970s. I know numbers. <laughs> I'm smart. This is the 1970s. Okay. So, buddies. Did you know that I'm numbers dyslexic? Because I am. Buddies, buddies, buddies. Bella Lugosi is an actor. Uh-huh. Any hoozles. So, you've got these two dudes. Sean Manchester, David Farrant. David Farrant was a practicing Wiccan. Uh, He was actually, he ran for office on several occasions in the Highgate area as the Wiccan Workers Party. Okay. Promising free love, a return of Wiccan beliefs and Wiccan holidays. He sounded like a very interesting character. And he's like, yeah, there's a fucking vampire here. I can deal with this. I know what's up. And at the same time, you have Sean Manchester, who's also like, yeah, it's a fucking vampire, but I'm going to be the one to fix it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, claimed to be 
a bishop of the old Catholic Church. I don't actually know what that means, but I think Sean Manchester is actually still alive. So, um, sorry, this is not defamation. I'm just reading what's there. Are you anti-Council of Nicaea? Like, what what makes it the old Catholic Church? That would just make you Eastern Orthodox anyway. So, yeah, sorry. Uh, All of the church history classes that I took are coming out of my mouth right now. Anywho, these two men both firmly believed there was, in fact, a vampire and that they were the only ones who could deal with it. But Sean was like, David is a faker. And David is like, Sean is a faker. And the newspaper kind of like fed into this whole storyline. Well, when in doubt, sensationalize. Yeah, it works. Uh, At one point, a woman's body was exhumed and desecrated. This woman had been buried like 100 years previously. It got really, really bad. Um, The police tried to cordon areas off, but all of these so-called vampire hunters were coming in like, we can fix this problem. Uh, Was it one of the two men was arrested for trespassing? Um, and I think was accused of desecrating corpses. And he was like, no, 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 I didn't do that. But I did send voodoo dolls to the police. <laughs> like you do. Uh, <laughs> the 70s were wild. It gets better. So these two men constantly going back and forth, slamming one another in the press. And they decided in 1973, they're going to have a wizard's duel on Parliament Hill. Corinne. <laughs> Corinne, what D&D campaign did these two walk out of? I don't know. Anyway, the... Um, so we've got our paladin and our druid. Yeah, it did not actually... They, they never actually had their wizard's duel. Well, yeah, because they're a paladin and a druid. Yes, well. Uh, and they remained antagonistic towards one another until 2019 when David Ferrant passed. And so, like, I don't even know anything about the actual Highgate vampire. I know these two dudes. And it's a fucking trip. I have so <laughs> many questions for them. So, I, and I was, as I was doing some research, I came across, there's apparently a whole chapter about this in a book called Occult London, which I immediately downloaded off of uh, the Kindle store. Excellent. So I will read that and get back to you on it, because I feel like I'm going to find some really great shit in there. Please do. And please tell me if you can get any any more information on what the old Catholic Church is. I want to know. Same. Same. Because, like, I know a lot about Christianity. Thank you, 16 years of Catholic education, including a very, very good early church history class at Bellarmine University. Thank you, university, for making sure that I actually learned shit. <laughs> Didn't learn a lot. But I had to pay attention to that class. Well, you know. So, yeah. That is my um, little little skimming overview of some more global vampire stories, even if one of them is not at all about vampires. But uh, No, but it's the best <laughs> thing that I've heard in my life. It's wonderful and uh if we're ever able to we we need to we have a a good friend who is working on her doctorate right now who has a class on 20th century britain 
And I know she she touched on a lot of different occult topics from that period. And we, if we can get her on, we need to get her on the show. Absolutely. Because it's good shit. Also, how is this not like an HBO miniseries already? I don't even know. It could possibly be because until 2019, both of those two dudes were still alive. And when has that stopped people before other than all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Apparently, at at some point, David Ferrant really backed off of publicizing his role in the whole thing. Okay. Um, Sean will still Sorry, talk about David. it. Sorry, David. He's dead. It's fine. <laughs> um, Sean will still talk about it. I have a link in my notes. He actually wrote a very nice eulogy for David Ferrant after David Ferrant passed. So I think even though they were not best friends or anything like that, there was sort of a, a grudging level of respect there. But it's some fucked up shit, man. I love it. People are crazy. Like, this story it sounds has like... has everything. <laughs> I want this to be a miniseries now. <laughs> well, we can dream. Yeah, TM, TM, TM. Hollywood, (laughs) hit us up. We have crazy ideas. We're funny. Ish. We're funny. I think we're funny. I do too, but I don't know how much of that is the caffeine talking. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Um, I'm hoping that we don't give you any caffeinated nightmares tonight, but... uh... You know, sweet dreams and don't have wizard duels. Bye, guys. Sorry. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at graveyardcoffeetalkpod or on Twitter at talkgraveyard. About three years later, the storm is starting. The fish is up there on the hill. The fish is looking for a rendezvous. So long, dead, but she's sixteen.